Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Well, I am glad that you're here today. I enjoy hearing some of the praises shared. The Bible makes it very clear that we have accountability to each other and we help and we encourage each other. Uh, so it's fun to share our praises and even it's it's a blessing to be able to share our hurts. I appreciated you praying for me when I was going through a difficult time and and I always appreciate the opportunity to pray for you when you go through difficulties. But I must admit, I enjoy the praises more than the prayers. <laughs> it's, it's always better to be on the upside. You're probably wondering, who are those people? I don't know. Uh, I've never met them. Um, the picture is John and Anne Bet- Betar. Uh, the picture was taken on their 81st wedding anniversary back in 2013. In 2017, they celebrated their 85th wedding anniversary, and then John got ill and passed away in 2018 at the age of 107. The interesting thing is, uh, her dad, Ann's dad, was planning for her to marry an extended family person who was more than 20 years older than her. It's like the dad was selling her, you know, back in the days. And she was in love with the boy across the street, and he was in love with her, and they surprised the family and got married. And the family member said, it'll never last. And for a while, they had the longest wedding in the world, the longest marriage in the world for a while, not the longest wedding. (laughs) The wedding lasted 85 years. No wonder they're still together, you know. Uh, but but they had, uh, so it lasted. And they helped start a church together and uh, invested heavily in that ministry. And John said the secret to a happy marriage is to love your wife. It's interesting that the Bible says something just like that. In Colossians chapter 3, we're looking today at wives husbands, kids, and co-workers. Wives, husbands, kids, and co-workers. Guess what? You fit in here somewhere. You fit in here somewhere. And here's what God's Word teaches about how we make these things work, how we have it work together. So in Colossians chapter 3, and uh, we're actually going to begin where we were last week. We began last week in verses 12 and 13. Well, not, never mind. Let's start right in verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents. Wait, wait. Kids, do you have your Bibles open? Okay. Where it says, children, obey your parents. What are the next three words? Kids. Wow. All right. Parents, what are those next three words? Now look at your kids while you say it. In all things, okay? 
Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. It's interesting that it doesn't say mothers do not provoke your kids. Isn't that weird? All right, verse 22. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service means not just when they're looking as men pleasers. You're trying to make them happy while they're watching. No, you, you do it all the time. In sincerity of heart, fearing God. Verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. That's your primary occupation, serving Christ. You may work different jobs, but your primary obligation is to serve him. Verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So we're looking at wives and husbands, kids and co-workers. And now I want to jump back to what we looked at last week in verses 12 and 13 of this same chapter. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect or chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on, therefore, tender mercies. What did we say tender mercies was like last week? What G, The emotion Jesus experienced when he was talking about people and meeting needs? Compassion. So put on tender mercies or compassion. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection or maturity. Your Christian maturity is measured not by the verses that you memorize, not by the doctrines that you can spell out, not by the theology that you can communicate. It's the acts of love that you do toward other people. That's the testimony of your Christian maturity. So th these were the standards we looked at last week. We had this list up, and we had these tender mercies, kindness, humility, uh, and we, we said, all right, this is what God wants us to do. Because of who we are, this is what we do. We're God's kids. This is what he wants to see his kids do. And so now I want to take what he says here, and we're going to bring this into these other verses where he's talked about wives and kids and co-workers. So the first, we're going to apply it to our homes. So this is how you have a good home, a thriving marriage. You put these things in, tender mercies and kindness and humility. So marriages in the Bible include some men having multiple wives. That shows up in the Bible, but it's never taught in the Bible. There's a difference between what's mentioned and what's taught. We talk about the difference between something that's descriptive, it describes what happened, and prescriptive, this means God wants you to do this. Uh, we have a doctor in the house, when he writes out a prescription, he wants his patients to follow that prescription. This is for their good. And so 
There are things that are prescriptive and there are things that are descriptive. Never in the Bible does it encourage the relationship that when men had multiple wives. In fact, from the very beginning, when God created Adam, how many women did God create to be the wife to Adam? One. And God said a man would leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, not wives. So what the Bible teaches is one biological male and one biological female making a commitment to each other that would last till one of the two uh, went home to be with the Lord. That's the God's plan. I know some are not able, some people that have spouses that uh, cheat on them and mess up their home and destroy the relationship, but God's plan hasn't changed, even though you've endured that loss and that heartache. And some of you uh, found love again, and you're in a second marriage. And uh, God wants you to be as committed to that as if your first marriage had never happened and dissolved. You be committed in that marriage. So one man, one woman making a commitment uh, for a lifetime. And, uh, <laughs> you know... I, I heard a story about this lady introducing her husband, and she said, this is my first husband. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, that's like saying, yeah, so far so good. I may upgrade later. <laughs> no, this is your husband. Uh, I, although Kathy and I have joked uh, because our son Benjamin is uh, its a biblical name. And in the Bible, Benjamin is the second son of favorite wife. And so Kathy said, people said, how'd you come up with the name Benjamin? Well, we picked it because we liked it. But Kathy would say, oh, second son of favorite wife. And people go, oh. <laughs> which is true. She is my favorite wife and my only wife, Lord willing, for my whole life. But marriage is about more than just staying together. God has rules for the home. And some of those rules are fun and cool and enjoyable, and some stretch us a little bit. These rules stretch us. The first, he says, is wives submit, verse 18. Wives submit. Now, submitting sounds old-fashioned, doesn't it? Uh, it's still God's plan for marriage. Now, I'm reading a book where uh, the preacher in this church is domineering and he's uh, actually emotionally and even physically abusive to his wife and he yells and screams and hollers about women must submit uh, but he's not doing things at all the right way I'm not sure I'm going to finish the book it's a fiction but see w how it works is submitting to the Lord by allowing your husband to lead now, there's a caution for wives. If your husband stops following Christ, you need to keep following Christ. Look what he says. He says, uh, wives, verse 18, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So if they're helping follow the Lord, they're following the Lord, you're following the Lord together, then you have an obligation to submit. But if they walk away from God or engage in activity that is not godly um, and, and there's a breach 
of the marriage relationship because of their activities, then you don't have to submit to that man. I've known domineering men who said their wives, they'll throw food on the floor and expect their wife to have to clean it up. I don't even throw dirty clothes on the floor. That's why we have a hamper. It's an amazing invention. If you guys don't use it, you should try it. But, but when Paul described to the church in Ephesus the role of wives submitting to husbands, he said, like the church submits to Christ. See, there's an order and a structure. And one of the ways that we get away from abuse, like that book I was reading about that pastor, that church has an obligation to talk to that pastor or even remove that pastor. There's an obligation because all of us are accountable to Christ. Uh, the pastor can't just do whatever he wants and uh, whatever, even though the pastor leads, there is accountability to Christ primarily, but also to each other and to the deacons and trustees and the congregation of the church. So um, if submitting to a man who's submitting to God is a spiritual pursuit, but there's a caution for the husbands here too. Uh, it doesn't mean that you rule over your home. Who rules over your home? God does. Jesus Christ does. Not the husband. We submit to him together. In fact, um, uh, we equally submit to him. Uh, Peter described it um, as uh, the husband is to... Oh, I got ahead of myself. I'll get back to that later. But, but listen, I heard of a guy who was saying that because he's the man, then he actually told his spouse that I'm in charge, everything is mine, and I can let you use some of it or not because I'm in charge and I rule because God made me the man. How many of you ladies would have been happily married to a guy like that? How many of you guys think that's a good model for you to follow? It's not. Would it surprise you to know that guy's been divorced multiple times? Uh, probably wouldn't surprise you, would it? But here's how I like to describe it. It's like this. In every relationship, God has a primary person, a secondary. How many of you are familiar with uh, corporate structures or structures of businesses? And there's several things like our church is a ministry, but it's also a nonprofit corporation. And the advantage to the members are you guys know that we follow all the laws that are required for nonprofit corporations. And there's a benefit. Those of you who give to the church, you, you get a tax benefit by giving to a nonprofit corporation. But even bigger, you know, there's accountability. There's certain rules so that uh, a church that's not incorporated can kind of do whatever they want. And there are pastors who specifically do not want their church to be a nonprofit corporation because then they would have legal accountability outside of themselves and they want to be in charge. If you've ever read 3 John, that's kind of how Diotrephes was. Uh, but there's a nonprofit corporation, there's for profit corporations, there's a limited partnership, there's full partnerships. Uh, but the structure in a marriage is equal partnership, right? You have 
the husband and the wife who are joint heirs of Christ, who are committed, they, they have this partnership together. That's the relationship that God has. Now, if we had a business partnership, I'll just pick on the guys on the front row, okay? Let's just say that Brandon and Ben and I uh, go into business. Now, Ben already has his own business, and it's a sole proprietorship. He and Teresa own the whole business. Uh, but let's say we start a new business, and we have a partnership. And in that partnership, we're going to pick new carpet for the office, okay? Ben, what color would you want? Navy, gray, navy and gray. I think those are boring. I want some orange swirls, you know? <laughs> so we're going to have this cool carpet that if kids throw up, you can't even tell, all right? And we're going to have this awesome carpet. Now, how are we going to decide what the carpet's going to be? Well, we're going to get in a fight. I'm going to take them down. No, no here's what's going to happen in a partnership. By law, you have a designated managing partner. And when there's a decision that you don't agree on, the managing partner has the tiebreaker. So the managing partner's vote counts a little bit more than the other guys. So in that situation, if Ben was the managing partner, our carpet would be Navy. Okay? But... By law, a managing partner can only make decisions that are good for the partnership. They can't make decisions that are only good for themselves. And see, in the marriage partnership, God has a plan that the guy is the tiebreaker. If the husband and wife can't agree, then the guy is the tiebreaker. That's God's design in marriage. So he could then make that decision but the decision must be for the good of both. He can't just do what he wants for him. That violates the laws in a business partnership, and it violates the laws of God in a marriage partnership. We're supposed to be doing what works for both. And so um, the wife submits not to a tyrant who's trying to dominate her, but to a loving spouse who seeks to cherish her. In fact, Peter said, 1 Peter 3, 7, the husband is to cherish his wife, and if he doesn't, God is not going to listen to his prayers. His prayers will be hindered if he's not cherishing his wife. And so she submits not because he's the man, but because God is God. And because she wants to trust and follow God's plan in her life. And so that's why. Now, Kathy, after she played, she stepped into the nursery and, and she might be paying attention to the speaker. She might just be totally focused on cute little Ivy in there. And, uh, and so she's in there. But her favorite definition of submission is ducking low enough so God can smack your husband. <laughs> I like that. But guys, here's something that I have learned. Even though God requires me to take the lead, if we can't agree, then I have to decide. God's going to hold me accountable for making that decision. Then here's a rule that Kathy and I have used in our marriage, and that is the one who has the most passion is often the one we'll decide with. 
See, we might have an issue where Kathy feels very passionate. I don't agree with her. But on a passion scale, she's like a 9.8 out of 10, you know? And on a passion scale on that subject, I'm maybe a 6. Then I'm going to go with what she wants because she feels greater passion. And, I mean, we have to realize we're wrong sometimes. And so sometimes it's you need to listen to other people. But you don't listen to your wife just to humor her. You listen because you value her. Because you value the position God has put into your life. So what works for us is sometimes the one who has the most passion is the one who decides. But some years ago, we were pa- I was pastoring in another community, and I felt God leading us to move uh, to another state. And... Uh, I really felt that it was God's will, and I felt the Holy Spirit encouraged me to pursue that. And Kathy didn't. And she said, well, how come, if it's God's will, the Holy Spirit has only told you, and he hasn't also told me? And I said, I don't know. And you know what she did next? She started packing. And we moved. And we grew a lot through that. And God eventually led us here. But honestly, I I can only think of maybe half a dozen times in the 42 years we've been married where she's had to say, all right, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do this. Now, maybe if she was out here, she could say it's really more like three dozen. I don't know. But I can only remember about a half a dozen of them. And guys, it doesn't mean that you get to dominate. It means God holds you accountable. So here's the deal, ladies. If you disagree and he, as the managing partner, makes a decision and you wouldn't have wanted that decision and it works out terribly, God holds him accountable, not you. You, you get a out of, get out of trouble free card from God because you did what God wanted. Now, guys, this is no blank thing. I'm in charge. I'm demand. In fact, he says here, wives, submit to your husbands. In fact, the primary responsibility a wife has to a husband is to show respect. What's the guy's responsibility to his wife? What's he say in verse 19? Love your wives. Love your wives. Now, uh, in in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul spelled out the standard of wives submitting is like the church submits to Christ. Now he spells out this standard in that letter of husbands submitting. Do you remember what it was? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, Christ didn't just give himself for the church when he died on the cross. He gave himself for the church every day of his public ministry. 
day in and day out, not just on Saturday and Sunday, but Monday through Friday as well. He gave himself for the church. He labored and he toiled and he discipled. In fact, he discipled so well, his followers were called disciples because they were disciples of Christ, discipled by Christ. And and he brought them along and he helped them and encouraged them. He did it every day in his public ministry, walking and working with them and encouraging them. He gave himself for the church. And that's the standard of the love that guys are supposed to have for their wives. So this is not a, hey, my way or the highway, woman. That's not showing God's love. I have heard men say that. That is not showing the love of Christ for his church. We, we have a, a standard, guys, that is almost impossible. In fact, in our own strength, we can't do it. We need the enabling of the Holy Spirit of God to be able to do this well. So this is how marriages thrive. You see humility on the list in there, up, up there and in, in the passage earlier. You're not perfect and your spouse isn't either. So you could turn to each other and say, I know you're not perfect, but I love you anyway. Uh, That's just the way life is. You're not perfect. So don't lift yourself above your husband or above your wife. Don't lift yourself above your spouse. Peter said, husbands and wives are heirs together of the grace of life. So we should have this compassion and this kindness to each other. We should have long suffering and bearing with one another. There is no ideal marriage. We can't go in the Bible and say, look, here's the perfect marriage. The perfect marriage that we can read in Scripture. In fact, ironically, one of the most amazing passages on a married couple's love for each other and commitment to each other, who was it written by? Song of Solomon. Solomon wasn't faithful to one wife. He had hundreds of wives, and that wasn't enough. He had hundreds more concubines. And yet, God used them to pen words that encourage married couples to this day. Uh, But we're going to bear with one another. No woman has ever had a perfect husband. I mean, my wife comes close, but no. Not even close. No woman has ever had a perfect husband. No guy has ever had a perfect wife. Now, I believe I'm married to the perfect one for me. But, you know, there might be, uh, if she was married to some other guy, it might drive him nuts or he'd drive her nuts. We, we fit together. Uh, but there is no ideal marriage. There is no perfect couple. There is no perfect husband. There is no perfect wife. So guess what you're going to have to do? Long-suffering and bearing with one another. Wait a minute. I thought it was going to be happily ever after. That's only in fairy tales. That's not in scripture. Can you shut that door for me, Ben? Thanks. That glare gets my glasses going. So what we have to do is realize I'm going to let her down or she's going to let me down And when that happens, we're going to be fully committed to the relationship 
I mean, obviously, assuming it's not a complete breach of trust let down, we're going to be fully committed to the relationship and we're going to work this out together. That's how it works. We put these things in practice that are on this list, we put them in practice in our home so that we're compassionate and kind and humble and meek and we're long-suffering and we're bearing with and we're forgiving and we're loving. And that's how it works. So you give up some of your rights because God says in your partnership together with each other, Following him is well worth that sacrifice. And so she gives up some of her rights. He gives up some of his rights. And they work to follow the Lord together. That's how a thriving marriage works. And then we can take this same list and we can put it into the relationship between parents and kids. Children, what's your primary responsibility to your parents? Honor and obey. Look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And then fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I, I used to provoke my oldest daughter a bit, um, or a lot. My perspective a bit, hers and my wife's perspective a lot. And... Kathy talked to me about it and said, you know, how are you filling that verse? And I said, well, you, you know, I think you're just misreading it. See, she's not supposed to get provoked. That's really what it means. No, it means I'm not supposed to provoke her. Now, Jessica and I have gotten beyond that. We have a good relationship with each other now. But when she was an older teen and I was pushing her buttons and she was stomping on my buttons, uh, we didn't have a really good relationship for a while. But when I stopped pushing her buttons, she stopped stomping on mine and we have a good relationship now. So parents, you need to show compassion to your kids. Show compassion. Now, one time when I was a kid, well, many times when I was a kid, I did something stupid. But one time when I was a kid, not only did I do something stupid, but I then gave my dad a really dumb reason for why I get, made, did something stupid. Dad said, why would you do something stupid like that? And I quoted from Scripture, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. I forgot about the rest of that verse. The rest of that verse says the rod of correction drives it far from him. That was my dad's favorite verse, I think. And, and I just I thought, not only did I do something stupid, but I set myself up for the after effect. But parents, you need to have compassion towards your kids. We live in a harsh world. Kids need to know home is their safe zone. Now, wives, if you don't feel safe at home, talk to me about it. We'll get you in a safe place. I've helped move a wife out of her house and into a shelter because she wasn't safe at home. I've actually done that in two different communities. You don't have to live where you're not safe. But parents, your kids should feel home as a safe zone. 
Child abuse is a scourge in our culture. Uh, child abuse is horrible. And we need to make it a safe place. We have ministries here right now. There's kids going on in there. There's kids in the nursery. There's kids over here in the children's church uh, Thursday night. We had almost 60 kids here in our WANA ministry and different clubs, things going on. And, and that, that this church needs to be a safe place for the kids in our community. They need to know when they come here, they're loved and cared for. We have compassion for where they are, not just hope for who they could become. And that's what we need to do in our homes. We need to show kindness. Yes, you, you should have some rules at home. What's a rule at home that your parents had that you did not keep? You're an adult. Uh, adults here who have kids or grandkids, but you had a rule that your parents had, but you didn't keep that rule going on in your house. Anybody? Can't think of one? Oh, Tim? No shoes on in the house. And you allow shoes in the house. Yeah. Um, my dad had a rule about, you know, no lights on unless you were actually sitting under the lamp. You couldn't have a light on because saving money, right? Always turning the lights off. And my dad came over to our house one day and he's like really annoyed with me because there was a light on in our bedroom and nobody was in there. And I said, Kathy likes to have the light on for when she walks in there. And so we leave it on because that's what she likes. Well, that's just, you're wasting electricity. And I said, I'm showing compassion to my wife. Give it a try. <laughs> and my mom's like, yeah. Okay. It's okay to have rules. My kids have some rules. They don't follow their rules. And my kids uh, uh, always got snacks right after school, and right before bed. We always gave them extra snacks. Nathan's family doesn't because there's eight kids in there. And if you do snacks, it's like an hour and a half project. And so they don't do it as often. Uh, but have compassion, parents, toward your kids. Kids, back towards your parents. Uh, be humble. You don't have all the answers or all the spiritual gifts. You can learn from your kids. Uh, they have spiritual gifts and insights that you don't have. Now, that was easy for me. I'm colorblind. I live mostly in a gray world. So if my clothes match, it's because Kathy made it. So I actually had a different tie picked out to wear today. And she's like, no, not going to happen. Um, uh, but... Uh, so I always needed my kids' help with stuff. When I would wire things with my son Nathan and we were doing a project, we're rewiring something, he'd have to tell me which one's red. You know, I could tell the difference between white and non-white uh, wires, but I couldn't tell which one was black or red or green or whatever. And the first time I tried to wire a thermostat, it was hopeless because there's like 10 colors of wire and I saw three differences, and that was it. Uh, there were groups of three or four wires, and that was it. But, but So I always needed help with that, so I learned to listen to my kids in other areas. And uh, my son Nathan was very mechanical. My daughter Jessica was very organizational. Uh, Megan is very artistic. And I learned from them. In fact, when Megan was in school in like third grade, second grade, when penmanship, third grade, she was in school in third grade, and she said she needed a note for her teacher. And I said, all right. I scribbled a note, signed it, and handed it to her. And she said, Dad, 
That note wouldn't pass penmanship in my class. I said, all right, here's the deal. You sign the form, you fill the form out, and I'll sign it. Well, recently, we had to go to the bank and take care of her name change at the bank. And we got to the bank, I slid the form over to her, and she's filling all my information out. She slid it back to me, and I signed it. <laughs> and that was it, because uh, we've just done that since she was in third grade. Uh, but, but you need to listen to your... Did I miss something there? Oh, okay. Um, uh, yesterday, I made a sign for the guys thing, and... and uh, I told uh, AJ that I can make a sign when it's just text. If it needs to look pretty, Megan does that. It, but you don't have all the answers, so you need to model meekness. You need to be long-suffering and forbearing and bearing with one another. Kids, by nature, will move you outside your comfort zone, often at 2 a.m. That's just what they do. Kids never get sick at a convenient time. And you need to be forgiving. You need to let the past be in the past. Saying things like, you always or you never. Well, if you say that to your kids, you know what they're going to think of? The one exception. Oh, you always do this. No, no, there was a time, you know. 14 days ago, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I didn't. They're going to remember that time. So let the past be the past. And you know what? Some of you have had kids who are ungrateful and unkind. And you know what you have to do? Leave it with God. God said you were good enough for those kids. You were the parents God wanted those kids to have. And you just trust I wasn't perfect, but we did enough that they could follow God if they had chosen to and just let it go at that. Let the past be the past. Don't provoke them. Don't intentionally antagonize. But we don't uh, negotiate with terrorists even when they're our own children. We still have house rules. Okay, now then he goes on to describe, he's talked about wives and husbands and children and parents and then bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, verse 22. Now he's telling their primary responsibility is uh, as uh, to, to obey. So go ahead and bring up that slide on bond servants. I, uh, ah, this is how to thrive on the job. This is how to thrive on the job. See, you take this same list and you bring it into the office place. Now, we work in different places. I mean, Ed and Amanda work together. And, and they enjoy, they see each other all day long and still enjoy going home and hanging out together. So praise the Lord for that, huh? Uh, and, and that's cool. But some of you, spouse works in one place, husband works in another, or spouse uh, is at home and husband's working or vice versa. Uh, some have different kinds of jobs. Some of you are retired. And... Uh, you know, when Jim Ricosi retired, he said, I'm not stopping working. I'm just under new management. So, <laughs> but, but how you thrive on the job 
is you take these same things that God wants to see in your life as individual, in our group as a church, and you put it into your family, and then you put it in on the job. So he says in verse 23, Whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not to men, knowing that of the Lord you will receive the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So he's saying, listen, when you get paid to do a job, do it extremely well. When, when you agree to do a job, do it well. Get, you know... Um, when I was a business manager, an executive at a, at a corporation, the owner of the company was sitting down with me and we're going through some stuff. We were a privately held company. And he said, wait a minute. It says here that the manager for the northwest area of the country, that he makes more money than you do. There, there's a goof here. Why, why are you paying somebody who works for you more than you get paid? And I said, because I pay him what I think he's worth. I set his salary. I value his contribution to the corporation. You set my salary. He's not overpaid. I might be underpaid, but he's not overpaid. And you know what? The owner didn't give me a pay raise. So I started stealing office supplies. I got him back. No. You can't even do what's called purloining. That's prohibited in Scripture too. That's where you get paid to do a job, but you don't do it as well. Or somebody hires you, uh, say, you know, I'm going to hire somebody for, uh, I agree to pay them 10 bucks an hour, and this job should take two and a half hours, uh, but they take five hours to get the two and a half hours done, so I owe them 50 bucks. The Bible says that's stealing. So on the job, Christians should put their effort into their job. And whether you get paid uh, commensurate with your labor or not, whether other people are paid more than you or not, you be the one who goes above and beyond because you're a child of God. That's what his kids do. That's what he wants to see. He wants to see these things in your life. So sometimes your long-suffering and bearing with is because of your boss. And sometimes it's just the nature of your job. How many of you have had a job where you've had to get called out in the middle of the night? A lot. Yeah. That, how, how many of you think it's really fun to get a call in the middle of the night and have to jump up and run out of the house? Uh, unless you're expecting a grandchild, uh, you don't think that's a very fun call to get in the middle of the night. But you do... You put up with, you bear with, you have long suffering, you do these things. Now, earlier we were talking about how a husband should lead. And look what it says here about how you lead on the job. Chapter four, verse one, masters, those who are in authority, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You lead from a position of submission to your master. You don't lead from a position of dominance over those under you. When I was in the Marine Corps, uh, I had a gunnery sergeant come in. I worked in administration. Uh, I became the admin chief for our battalion. 
and we we had a, a our organization had failed the inspector general's inspection the year before so they brought in this guy who was part of the inspector general's team he was the big dog you know he was going to whip us into shape and he was going to get us straightened out and he was terrible he was horrible to work with he disrespected the people who worked for him was always belittling and cussing at them and and yet, so when we had the pre-inspection before the IG, because we'd failed the previous year, they gave us a, a warm-up shot of it. We had the pre-inspection, and we failed. And that night, he had a stroke, and he got removed. That was on a Thursday night. Friday morning, I showed up for work as normal. I was the S1 chief, and they called me into the battalion commander's office, and they said, you're no longer the S1 chief. You're now the admin chief, which was for the battalion, not just for the company. And you're now the battalion admin chief. And they handed me a, a box of notebooks. Here's all the rules for your job. Be fully proficient on Monday morning when you come in and take your job. Enjoy your weekend. And, you know, I came in and I listened to the guys that I worked with and the ladies that I worked with, and, and we worked together and we solved disputes together, and I tried not to belittle them because we're following God's rules, right? And when we took the inspector, that's amazing, we took the inspector general's inspection, our unit that had failed six weeks before, the exact same people doing the exact same jobs. We were the highest rated unit in the whole Marine Corps. I got a certificate from the Commandant of the Marine Corps. But it wasn't me. It was them. When they had somebody who could respect them and listen to them and help them, they flourished when they had somebody who belittled them and cussed at them and made fun of them, they languished. And that's true in the home, and that's true on the job. And we need to show love to people. We need to care for people. Uh, see, there's a pattern here. This list works in every human relationship. We work on these things, being compassionate and kind and humble and meek and long-suffering, and we forgive and we show love, and all of this builds in, and it works in every relationship you have. It works parents to kids and kids to parents and husband to wife and wife to husband and coworker to boss and boss to coworker. See, this is the pattern of the ministry of Jesus Christ. In the ministry of Jesus Christ, he was continually showing love to broken, hurting people. And the only people he was stern with were the people who said they were spiritual but weren't following God. See, this is what God's kids do. This is what followers of Christ do. Uh, so here, here's a couple of big questions. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Here's the answer. If you're not doing that list, you're not following Christ. Have you trusted him as Savior? 
Are you following him, following his example, following his teaching, following his values? Are you following Jesus Christ? Well, if you're not, what do you need to change today so that you will? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace. We thank you that you forgive us when we failed you, that we confess our sins and you will faithfully forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that when we fail you, you still love us and help us to love others even when they fail us, even when they hurt us. May we show love like you did toward us. You loved us while we were still sinners. You died for us. Help us to be willing to put our lives on the line, our comforts, our dreams, and our desires. Help us to make them align with your dreams and desires so we can impact this world for Jesus Christ. In his blessed name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.